Entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. <laughs> Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. Don't go out there and laugh. The doctor is now in. And it is a Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's terrible. Got some terrible Tuesday takes for you, as you know. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. Game one of the NBA playoffs, the Western Conference semifinals tonight. Probably the most anticipated series starts tonight with the Golden State Warriors hosting the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, it is Steph versus LeBron, what, part five? Looking forward to that. We will diagnose that, get into that. Warriors have the home court advantage in game one tonight, 7 o'clock in San Francisco. And before that, Miami will try to take a 2-0 lead over the New York Knickerbockers and the Knicks back in the playoffs hosting at Madison Square Garden. So a couple big-time games tonight in the NBA. We'll touch upon that. Chuck Esposito will join us over at Red Rock, get his uh, thoughts and take on that. Alan Snell is going to join us, Las Vegas' very own from LV Sports Biz, and we will talk to him about some latest news that came out of the Oakland A's stadium situation here in Vegas. And the NFL Draft, we finally put a bow on that and recap it with the best person to do that, bar none, Trevor Maddich from ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Again, you're not hearing from columnists, you're not hearing opinions, you're hearing from the guys who broke down tape who's seen these guys play in college and from a 12-year NFL veteran like Trevor Maddich as well, too. He'll break it down, tell you uh, about the future, and we will really focus on the Las Vegas Raiders selections, nine of those selections, and the draft, of course, concluded on Saturday. All right, we've got that going. TC with you. Numbchuck on the other side of the proverbial glass, making it happen for you. And, uh, yeah, a lot happening, a lot to do today. But um, before... We get into a terrible Tuesday, kind of a, a segue, the breaking news uh, today. Still one of those sad stories, and unfortunately, around draft time, we talk about this because this gentleman who was a Las Vegas Raider draft selection going back a couple years ago, and we're talking about Henry Ruggs III. Well, he was in court today, and uh, the update on Henry Ruggs, the former Raiders wide receiver, unconditionally waived his right to a preliminary hearing today and will plead guilty to one count of driving under the influence, resulting in the death and one count of a misdemeanor vehicle manslaughter in the 2021 case in which he was accused of killing Tina Tintor in a car crash along with her dog, Max, back on November the 2nd, 2021. You remember Henry Ruggs driving 156 miles per hour down Rainbow Boulevard, just west of the Las Vegas Strip. Um, alcohol, potentially drugs involved, just a tragic story where Tina Tintor and her dog in their vehicle, the Toyota RAV4, burned, and uh, they were burned to death in that 
just horrific accident. Now, according to a plea agreement, Ruggs will serve three to ten years for the crime he committed in a Nevada state prison. The case now moves to the 8th District uh, Court for a hearing on May the 10th when he's expected to formally plead guilty. But this has been going on a long time. There was actually six different postponements from what we finally got today. Uh, Ruggs has been on house arrest. He has been allowed to go to a workout facility here in Las Vegas um, two times a week for three hours at a time. Can you imagine if you're at that workout facility? And I mean, you think about seeing him and then just him being in the public like that. And yeah, just still hard to deal, you know, with this story. And I say we, we talk about this around draft time because obviously, you know, the, the Raiders drafted rugs and they thought he was going to be, you know, the speedy wide receiver for many, many years to come. Paid him a lot of money coming out of the University of Alabama. And then, you know, you had that Jalen Carter situation. And with the rug situation fresh on everyone's mind, the Raiders, you know, smartly so, decided not to draft Jalen Carter, Carter, who was in a drag race incident a few months back uh, after Georgia won the national championship. And he was involved, even though he personally did not kill two people, but two staff members were killed drag racing, and uh, he was involved in that. So they stayed away from that. But then, you know, when we hear updates with Henry Ruggs, uh, here, here's the latest what's going on. And I think some people are going to be taken aback by this when they hear that it's a minimum, three, you know, three years to 10 years. I mean, what should this guy be doing? I mean, he killed a person driving 156 miles an hour. He's pleading guilty, of course, because he's guilty. He's got no other play in this. And part of the plea deal was the woman that was in his car, all right, they they dropped the charges for her injuries. So, and then reckless driving, they kind of dropped that as well, too. So uh, his attorneys negotiated, I guess, a better a good deal for rugs, but three to ten years does seem rather light. Because if this thing would have gone to jury trial, it could have been up to 50 years. That he could spend in prison. So anyway, yes. Uh, so that uh, that came down earlier today. So uh, Henry Ruggs, uh, unfortunately, uh, still in the news, hearing about that. All right, a lot to hit on today's show. And like I said, it's a terrible Tuesday. It's terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Okay, well, Dylan Brooks from the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, I said formerly of the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Yes. Well, his reputation and his career has changed dramatically within the last two weeks. All right? Dylan Brooks. Remember what he said about LeBron James after game two? I guess what, what were you thinking? I don't care. He's old. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, I was waiting for that. I was expecting him to do that game four, game five. He wanted to say something when I got my fourth foul. 
Um, you should have been saying that earlier on. Um, but, you know, I poke bears. Um, I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. Um, so um, I pride myself on, you know, what I do is defense and taking on any challenge that's on the board. That was after game two. Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies. The series is tied one game apiece at that time. And Dylan Brooks had no respect for LeBron James, all right? So let's break down the timeline here. So Brooks calls out LeBron right there after game number two, all right? He dismisses him as being old. And then what happens in game three? Now, LeBron James, he kind of wants to fire back a little bit. Brooks says, bring it on. Game three happens, all right? In the series... Shifts to Los Angeles. Game three, Dylan Brooks is ejected from that game for hitting LeBron James in the nuts. That's right, ejected. And he has his head down saying, really? Are you kidding me? I'm going to get ejected for that? Well, and again, you look at the video, you don't know if it was intentional or not, but the bottom line is, swipe to the ball. James is bringing the ball up the court. Swipes to the ball. Hits him in the gonads. You like nuts? You like gonads? What do you like better? Package? E- either one. What? Either one. Groin area? You like that? But now, in his defense, was it a real cup? Vicious? Cup? No. Was no. it a real cup check? First of all, these players need to wear cups. Yeah. Back in the day, they used to wear cups. All right? You're not going to wear a cup. You're just you're just putting your jewels out there uh, for this type of uh, stuff to happen. And we see it a lot in games. You know, we see elbows, we see punches, we see inadvertent hands. You know, you see that stuff. I didn't jock, think- jock it up a little bit, you know, put a cup in there like they did back in the day. I think LeBron just played it up a little bit because of oh, the situation. No question. You know There's no question about that. LeBron playing it up? No doubt. All right. But anyway, this story's about Dylan Hammerager Brooks. All right. So. He does that, gets ejected, has another poor game in game six in which the Lakers obliterate Memphis by 40 points. Drill pressed him 125 to 85 and thus eliminating the Grizz from any further postseason affairs. 4-2, Lakers win the series. Now, after the elimination, Memphis has their exit interviews. Well, they decided to fine Dylan Brooks $25,000 for skipping media interviews and even skipping a, a portion of the exit interviews. Okay? During the portion that he did get a chance to talk to management and coaching staff, he did say he did not regret what he said about LeBron James. Not a good look for the Grizzlies, especially you lit the fire under James and you get eliminated in six games. So, The Grizzlies come out and say they will not re-sign Dylan Brooks to a contract next year under any circumstances. Today, they say goodbye to Dylan Brooks. Now, think about where this guy was. He comes in the league from Oregon. Very good college career. He came in as a second-round draft pick by the Grizzlies. He was the 45th pick taken overall. Now, a few years later, gone. Gone off of this team, which if he would have played his cards right, would have kept his mouth shut, probably would have been okay because the guy is a decent player. But look what he did in this series. So after he called out James, here's what he did. 
in those next four games. Seven, 11, eight, and in game six, he scored 10 points. Memphis lost three of those four games. All right? Here's the dealio. You didn't need to do that. You didn't need to light the fire. But how about this? All right? Just shut up and play. That's all you got to do. Just shut up and play. All right? You think John Morant, you think the coaching staff of the Memphis Grizzlies wanted to hear Dylan Brooks run his mouth and insult, you know, the guy, not only one of the best players in the history of the NBA, but the guy that you're going against and the series is tied one game apiece and you're going to get John Morant back? Nah, you don't need that bulletin board material. And what do you think your teammates think about that? Like, man, because a lot of those guys like LeBron James. They look up to LeBron James. This is a very young team. And you're acting like that you're better than him? You're not going to give anybody respect? You're going to call the guy old? He put a 20 and 20 on you. 20 points and 20 rebounds right after that as well, too. I mean, just ludicrous what goes through some of these players' minds. But yeah, he's always been a me-first guy. He's not a real good teammate. You know, cheap shot artist is, you know, what we found out now, too. But now going forward, it'll be interesting to see who picks up Dylan Brooks. And I say who because somebody will. Somebody's going to pick him up, all right? And he's going to do a song and dance and say, hey, my bad. You know, I got my, mo- my let my emotions get the best of me. I'll change. I'll be better. Because he tried that routine with the Grizzlies during the exit interview. And they said, thanks, but no thanks. You're embarrassing. You're gone. He's out of here. Any shot he lands in L.A.? I don't know where he would land, but would he be a teammate of Dylan Brooks? Is that what you're saying? At the, any, I mean... You know, with, the, with today's NBA, you never know. I mean, do you think Russell Westbrook would be bouncing around the way he's been bouncing around? A Laker, a Clipper, no. you know, start off at OKC, and go, I mean, all these other places. I think James Harden would be making his tour around the Eastern Conference? Oh. And James Harden goes off for 45 last night as a 10-point underdog in Philly gets the victory. Craziest. Yeah, so that's the NBA. It is total downright crazy. All right, let's talk more NBA. First round playoff game. Game five, back to last Tuesday night. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets are going for a closeout game victory here. Now, they're leading the series three games to one. All right? Denver leads the game with seconds remaining 112 to 109. Minnesota guard Anthony Edwards puts up a game time shot at the horn. Rimmed out. No good. All right? Doesn't go in, and the Wolves are eliminated by the Denver Nuggets. Then the situation gets worse for Anthony Edwards. As he's heading to the locker room, probably to some jeers from the crowd in Denver, but Nothing malicious. I don't, you know, they didn't instigate this. Edwards is mad because they lost the game, because they're eliminated, and because he missed the game tying shot. He finds a folding chair where a security guard was sitting, but now the security guard is now up, you know, doing his job. He takes the folding chair, heaves it into the crowd, and injures two ball arena employees. Ball arena is where the Denver Nuggets play. Injures two female employees. For chucking a chair in the stands. He did not chuck it into the stands. He kind of grabbed it and folded it and kind of just 
misplaced it. <laughs> it wasn't a. It wasn't a chuck. Uh, are, are you giving him a pass? I, no, no. I'm just saying, like, I agree because they did get injured. He that- picked up a folding chair, a pretty heavy one too, by the way. You know, and he decided to basically strike two employees. How's that? Two female employees. I don't think he was meaning to hit them at all. You don't think so? No. But he, he did. He just kind of grabbed it and like folded it and then just kind of like threw it. It wasn't like it wasn't a chucking situation at all. He injured two employees, right? Bruised knees, <laughs> bruised shins. That's all I'm going to say. Why are you trying to back out of this? Third degree assault uh, is filed against Edwards. All right, so he's he's cited for third degree assault. The incident occurred as Edwards was, like I said, heading towards the Wolves' locker room after the loss uh, with the folding chair. Fortunately, though, the injuries were not serious. Edwards is scheduled for a June 9th court date in Denver. Third degree assault is a class one misdemeanor in the state of Colorado, defined as knowingly or recklessly causing bodily injury, which he did. If convicted, Edwards faces possible jail time and uh, a fine of up to $1,000, which is really nothing for an NBA player. But again, just here's the point of the matter. This is terrible because it shouldn't happen. You should have your composure. You shouldn't be jabbing chairs, chucking chairs, doing whatever. And there it is. He picks it up. He spins around and he threw the chair. Didn't poke jab, picked it up and threw the chair. Now, that's one thing, okay, for this player to do. He's an imbecile for doing it. You just don't do it. And then what's he do? Does he come back? Do anything? No. Continues running to the locker room like a coward. Just ridiculous. All right. Now, you've got other incidents that have been happening this past week in arenas as well, too. Fights have been going on in the arena. Now, we've got Two locations where this nonsense has been happening. Between the first round series between Phoenix and the Clippers in the elimination game, I don't know if you want to get up the, the video or not, Chuck, but who's beating who? But somebody is beating senseless another fan. Both are wearing jerseys in the Phoenix Clippers series. And this guy is just wailing away on this guy in the stands. All right? So that happened. And then also in Memphis, between the Lakers and the Grizzlies, where this fan is just blasting this fan in the face, and there's some serious damage that are that are done. Obviously, alcohol is involved because you you see these guys with beers in their hands, or you know sitting in front of their seats there in the uh, the holders, and in both of these incidents. Do you see anybody come to the rescue of a fan stepping in later on after this guy is getting beaten down for about 30 seconds or so? And it looks like, okay, this guy is incapacitated. Then some guy says, okay, you better stop that. But here's my question. Where is security with all this? Where is security? They're nowhere to be found if you look at any of these videos in both these incidents. But this isn't just a pushing and shoving match. This guy's, these two guys are getting their faces beat down. They're getting thrown, they're, they're getting chairs thrown at them. That's what, that's where security's at. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, this is right in the middle of of a game, and they're and they're just they're getting they're getting pummeled, and nobody does nothing. Now, I'd like to hear if these gentlemen were uh, finally you know ejected or evicted, but it's a joke, and too many. You know, I talked about the fight a, a few weeks back, where there's like three or four different fights breaking out in the Plant Benavides fight. It's like, and security is really slow coming around. I don't know if they don't want to get involved or, or, or what the deal is, but that's what you're there for. You should not, whether you're drinking or not, okay, if you say something, you're rooting for the wrong team or the wrong fighter, or whatever, you shouldn't have to fear for your life in these situations. But that's exactly what's going down. And if and everyone has a, phone, uh, has a camera now, so it's out there. But yeah, go back and look at those videos and see what's happening. And you see nothing. I haven't heard any arrests being made in those situations, but pretty ridiculous. All right. How ridiculous is this? All right. Speaking of the NBA, we go to the broadcasting side. We go to the uh, the TNT crew with Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and of course, Shaquille O'Neal. Now, these guys like to have fun. What's the best part of this is maybe not so much the breakdown because you don't get too much of that, but you know, I get it. You're being entertained specifically by Shaq and Barkley where Shaq is, has openly said he basically didn't have any love for Charles Barkley. So these guys go at it all the time, but this one took a little different, different turn last week with uh, Shaq uh, being accused and openly admitted that, uh, had a little snafu going. But Charles and Penny and Shaq, who is uh, who is trying to recover from, uh, you're not going to order that lasagna anymore. My boy Slice got me some bad lasagna. Are you kidding me? Sorry about that. <laughs> you kidding me, man? I'll just light a little fire over there. No, oh my God! That's the last thing you want to do. Come on, Slice. Get to, get to the American hey, You need to go to the film room? Nah, too late. <laughs> I already went. I went right here in my seat. <laughs> oh, no. Just playing America. <laughs> Don't smell like it. I mean, what? <laughs> Didn't I already call? So Shaquille O'Neal obviously, uh, you know, was dropping some bombs. I right, play a little gap band there, dropping some bombs, stinking up the set. This guy is farting. He's farting during the set and he's making jokes about it. Here's more. From Barkley, Ernie, Kenny, and Shaq. Kenny, you know my favorite cartoon character? What's that? Fart Simpson. Oh. Uh. No, but you know what? What? Your suit is illustrious. Doodoo Brown. <laughs> Even more so you now. You that, Ernie. <laughs> more so now. So, uh... Tell me why Golden State's got so many. What America would ever sit on television and let everyone know he passed gas? No, Other than him. I didn't pass gas. No. I farted. Okay, whatever, man. Oh, my God. Way to be grammatically correct. Well, anyway, I got my... Uh, so, Ernie Johnson is just trying to, like, okay, let, let's get back here. Let's get back to highlights. And, yeah, Shaq wants to tell everyone that uh, he's farting on the set. Pretty humorous, pretty entertaining, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want to uh, pass. And then again, just going, you know, saying, okay, they're trying to be correct and say pass gas. He goes, no, I farted. You know, Doodoo Brown has it's <laughs> Fart Simpsons, Fart- greatest thing like. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's entertainment at its finest in the post game there on TNT. <laughs> NFL draft. All right. So draft just completed last weekend. You know, and once we get past the first round, the NFL are trying to find ways to really spice up the broadcast, you know? See how, where I went there was spice up the broadcast after... I see what you're doing yeah, there. Yeah, I don't know. But, but uh, I, look, I've never done that with you as well, too, you know? And you've been pretty good as well, too. You should control yourself, you know, pretty good. I don't know if it's because it's late nights over there at the TNT studio. I mean, it's like past midnight or I have no idea. But maybe because we're middle of the day, we, we don't have those issues. But thank goodness. But anyway, back to the NFL draft. Once you get past the first round, the NFL feels that they need to do some things to keep people's interest in watching this, especially on Saturday when you're dealing with now rounds three through seven. And of course, the ratings are there for round number one on Thursday night. Everybody wants to see who the first round pick is, but... Most people aren't going to hang with the draft on Friday. They got better things to do. And then, especially on Saturday, you know, watching rounds four through seven. So, what do they do? They try to bring in former players. They try to bring in maybe charity spokespersons to announce the pick for, you know, these other rounds. Okay. But I think we've reached an all time new low here. What occurred in this past draft. They're bringing out fans. They're bringing out fans to announce the pick. All right? And which team had a fan announce their third round pick? The Las Vegas Raiders about to make the second pick here in the fourth round. They're the Boos. They don't like that. Kansas City. Nation. Viva the Raiders! Viva the Raiders! Okay, let's do it. With the 104 pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, Las Vegas Raiders, Miss Raiders, select... Jacorian Bennett, defense, defensive back, Maryland. Yeah! <laughs> so, how do you like that? So, question for you. Yes. Did he say wonderful pick? No, 104 pick. Oh, 104. Not the 104th pick. 104 pick. I thought he said wonderful pick. In the 2023 draft. The guy's from Mexico! It's not even from here. Why are we going to get a guy from Mexico to to make the pick? Now, here's the best part, or I should say the worst part, the terrible part. They put up his name, and they put up his occupation underneath. What do you think it was? Does he work in a restaurant? <laughs> Look at you. You're like, so I, afraid. I, I, no, I just don't like. You're so timid when you say it. Does like, he does he work, work in a restaurant? Well, I don't think he works in a restaurant. No. He, does he own a restaurant? I don't think he owns a restaurant. No. Does he, I think he has something to do with restaurants, though. Does he do dishwash? No. <laughs> no. I'm, now I'm trying to think of. Are you being stereotypical here? No. Okay, good. I, no. Does he own the taco? He owns taco? nothing. He owns nothing. Do you know what he owns? It gave his name and said, 
influencer from Mexico. He's an influencer. Is his name Jose? I don't know. Look up his name. Well, you know him? Well, I know him. He made the the, uh, 104th pick. All right. And how do you feel if you're Jacorian Bennett, the cornerback from Maryland here? All right. This is a guy. This is the moment of your life. You'd like to have Roger Goodell announce it, or maybe the deputy commissioner, or maybe out a hall, hall of Famer. You got plenty of Raider Hall of Famers. You could do that. Why not? Instead, you get an influencer from Mexico to come over and boo you. It's in Kansas City, right? It's in Kansas City, all right? The rivalry, the Raiders, the Chiefs. Think about it. If you're this young man, Jacorian Bennett, and you're going to save this tape for the rest of your life, and you get some ham hog that's getting booed that sounds like a jabroni, came and speak proper English, and he's announcing the Raiders pick? That's terrible. And it's just not the Raiders. No, okay, but it's anyone else that's going and, and having these guys announce these picks. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. These are huge moments in these players' lives to get announced, to get up and walk the runway or on the stage or even if you're home, all right? It's crazy. You know what one of my favorite draft pick moments is? What? The Pat McAfee when he went to Nashville. And he goes, I'm not going to talk about Indianapolis beating anybody because I didn't have anything to do with that because I never played because I'm a punter. Right. And we never punted. Right. It was just like the greatest thing yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. But here we go. If you're a former player, there might be some drunk Chiefs fans that may boo some, uh, you know, going to boo a former Raider player, but, but not like this. It's a fan. So fans are going to take it out on fans. Because, A, we don't like you Raider fans. Heck, we, we're fighting. Fans are fighting in the stands at all these games, right? And they're jealous, too. Hey, how come that guy gets to come over from Mexico and make a pick, and I didn't get a chance to make a pick for my team? So you get all this animosity going on, right? All this testosterone going on. And this guy butchers the, the, the pick, the name. I'm just, And here's the thing. Do you really think that this is entertaining? All right, NFL Productions, is this going to make you want to hang and watch the next pick? Oh, who's going to make the next pick? Okay, you want to involve a charity? This, you don't need to do any of it. Okay, just have a moderator or somebody in the NFL office announce the picks or a professional announcer. Huh? Is that a good idea? To have Don Pardo do it. Anybody do it because they probably won't butcher the name because you know what they are? A professional announcer. They're not an amateur influencer. Why does that irritate me so much? Because you're an announcer. <laughs> and it came across stupid as a representation of your team. Ah! I said, ah! Thank you very little. <laughs> uh, Florida Panthers are limiting tickets to the visiting team in a bid to prevent their arena from being overrun. From the people up north, Toronto Maple Leafs 
are playing the Florida Panthers. Congratulations to the Panthers on eliminating the Boston Bruins in the first round of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, round number two comes, and what do they get? They get the Toronto Maple Leafs, a huge fan base, one of the original six teams, right? But this move, the Florida Panthers are saying, we don't want Toronto fans coming down from Canada. So what we're going to do is say, no, if you're Canadian, we're not going to let you purchase a ticket. All right? We're going to restrict the ticket sales for home games in Florida to residents of only the United States of America. Wow. Is that a little political? Well, I get it. You don't want your home ice to turn into visiting ice advantage because, yeah, there's probably more Maple Leaf fans that will come to sunny Florida to watch this series. Maple Leafs are known for having a devoted fan base that regularly shows up in large numbers when the team goes to Florida. All right? But fans of the Maple Leafs, who are now in the second round for the first time since 2004, will now have to seek tickets through a secondary ticket market if they want to cut into the Panthers' home ice advantage. Here's the uh, event info notice All right, on Ticketmaster's website. It said sales for the games in Sunrise, Florida, will be restricted to those living in the United States, and that residency will be based on credit card billing address. There you go. If your address says Ontario, Canada, you're not getting a ticket. So, dumb question. Okay. Couldn't I, who live in Canada, ask you to buy the tickets? Yeah. And then here you go. Thank you. You can circumvent that rule. Sure. You know what I'm like? Yeah, you can. Yeah. But in how many people do they know that, you know, coming from Canada that know people in the United States? I don't know. But uh, yeah, Toronto's going to host the first two games of the series starting tonight and Thursday will be game two uh, before the action shifts to Florida for the weekend. These two games coming up. I want to how do you monitor this? That's it. How do you monitor this situation? How can you prevent this from happening? Like you said, you find a Canadian and come in and, you know, but okay, so you're not going to get it through Ticketmaster, which good seat's still available. So you go to StubHub, you go to some of these secondary markets, you go ahead and you do that. Okay, fine. Uh, they're still going to be in the building. So pretty crazy. Hold on. Do you think we can ask Jerry the dentist to buy us some tickets and <laughs> sell them? That's, that's, some, that's a great moneymaker right there. There it is, right? No doubt. All right, those are some terrible Tuesday takes for you right here. If you got some, hit me at uh, TC Martin 21. We come back. Chuck Esposito is going to join us. We talk betting on the playoffs. <laughs> Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. TC Martin. Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers are going to get it on tonight in game number one. Cannot wait! Hey, hey, hey. The Steph-LeBron rivalry what you got continues. Oh yes, we remember those great series, huh? Between the Warriors and the Cavs. You know who's dominating those series? That'd be Steph Curry. That would be the Warriors. Yes, I know. There was... One year when the Warriors lost to the Cavaliers, four games to three. But remember, the Warriors were leading three games to one. Draymond Green got suspended in that game five. We know what happened after that. But when you go back and you look 
at the matchup between LeBron and Steph, look, look what happened. And they were pretty one-sided in those situations. 2015, Golden State defeats Cleveland four games to two. 2016, four games to three. That was the one where uh, Cleveland came back and, and won after being down 3-1. But after that, Warriors in 2018, four games to one. Then they sweep them the following year uh, after that. And uh, what happened there? That caused LeBron to run away from Cleveland. <laughs> We're going to have some fun with this. Looking forward to it, especially after the Warriors, after that uh, big emotional series over the Kings, the seven-game series. Lakers a little bit more rested, but the Warriors do have the home court advantage here, and it starts tonight at 7 o'clock in San Francisco. And the betting may surprise some people. And we're going to break all that down with our very good friend who is at Red Rock making it all happen on a daily basis, Chuck Esposito. What is up, my friend? I'm good, T. Just uh, getting ready for the next round of the NBA and NHL. See how, uh, if we're going to be rooting for VGK or rooting against them, a little bit different series where they're actually the the underdog in this series, yet having the best record in the Western Conference. All right. We get into all that uh, with Chuck Esposito here today, Chuck. But let's first start with uh, a NFL draft recap with the props, with everything else. And again, I know it's a it's a big time, and you are the the draft Nick, as uh, as we call you, and you call yourself there. Uh, talk about last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the book. It was uh, interesting to say the least. I think you know. The draft's become such a big event right now that, you know, you saw, uh, three quarterbacks go really early. You saw a number of trades happen. There were some teams that, you know, we felt had phenomenal drafts and we actually lowered them a little bit on the future book. And some teams that did, uh, we, um, you know, overall the draft props were a very small loser for the day and it really came down to one prop. And that was over or under uh, one and a half running backs selected in the first round. We knew that Robinson would go in the first round, but you know he was rumored to go anywhere from eighth at the earliest, maybe Atlanta, where he did go to anywhere in the mid-teens to late teens to early twenties. I think the Lions, you know, taking Gibbs, um, you know, at number twelve was was a shocker. But unfortunately, uh, betting public was right on that one. Uh, it did go over one and a half, and uh, they did well on that ticket. But felt the Texans, uh, the Eagles um, were both teams that we uh, thought really helped themselves a lot uh, in the draft, and and we lowered the odds uh, on them and and raised a few teams as well. The Commanders we raised, uh, the Cardinals we raised, uh, the Titans we raised. We also lowered the Seahawks. Thought the Seahawks had a really really good draft. And I think you look at the NFC West tee, and Cardinals and Rams seem to be kind of in full rebuild. And as good as the Niners roster is, we don't know how healthy or when Brock Purdy exactly will be back. Teams are going to have a lot more tape on him now to know what his strengths and weaknesses are. Um, you know, Trey Lance hasn't really played a full year going on, I think, four years now because he didn't play at all the last year in college. He opted out. He's been injured for back-to-back years in the pros. Um, and you've got Sam Darnold, who's playing on his third team in three years. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty there. And I really think the Seahawks had one of the best drafts in the league. You're right. They, they did. Uh, Chuck, you know, just kind of overall, when you're talking about moving you know, future lines for these teams, you know, after the draft or during the draft. I mean, how reactionary, uh, you know, do you, do you really have to be? 
because remember, these guys haven't stepped on a field yet. You don't know if if these guys are going to be immediate contributors. And like I always say, you can't even you know grade a draft until after three years. I mean, so I, I get this. Is this more about of what the you know the public you know is is is, is hit, hitting you with with maybe some large future bets, or are you just saying okay, let's look at this draft board here and let's make these adjustments? I mean, again, how reactionary do you have to be for just you know? Uh, the selection process when the guys hadn't even reported to training camp yet? I think it's a combination of both, T. Um, you know, we're definitely in an information era. And, you know, every single day now, you know, you've seen since the draft and during the draft, uh, the so-called expert analysis of how teams did, both good and bad. And, you know, the, the, the guests on the other side of the counter, they're kind of hearing and seeing the same thing. I think when you look at the, the NFL and the expanded playoff format, you're looking at kind of big picture and, and where these guys are projected out. You're absolutely right. I mean, even teams now that we think, you know, uh, last year Denver was such a kind of a vogue team that everybody bet going into the season, and we see how that first year worked out with Russell Wilson, and then other teams that people don't think are going to do very well, like Seattle, did really well. So it's a lot of unknown, but we're just kind of projecting out, looking at at teams that we thought really helped themselves. I mean, I think you look at, uh, you know, a team like Seattle, who was able to pick up Weatherspoon in the first round, the best, um, you know, corner, the highest ranked quarter, was able to pick up JSN to add to Lockett and and Metcalf, uh, Charbonneau to to add to Kenny Walker in the backfield. I think they did a lot of really uh, haul to get an edge rusher, which they needed from Auburn. I think they did a lot of things well, and I think we kind of look at that too. You're right. You don't know how these guys are going to pan out, but we're still kind of adjusting it based on what we felt helped or didn't help a team. Um, And we're moving teams up and down the draft or up and down our future book board um, based on that. And, of course, our guests on the other side of the counter, they'll let us know if the lines are too high or too low by the way they bet them. And, uh, you know, they did it on some of those props. And, you know, we've already seen some action on the future book as well. Was there any adjustments made on your end with uh, the Raiders after their nine selections? You know, there was not at this point. I, I still think, you know, um, they, they. I was a little surprised by their first pick. Uh, I like Tyree Wilson a lot. We know he's coming off the foot injury. I really thought corner, when you play in a division um, with uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson, that you really needed more help on the back end. That really seemed to me to be their Achilles heel last year. Uh, no, Wilson's a, a really talented guy, and there was chatter early on that he could go before Will Anderson. Um, but uh, that, to me, I, I really felt was their big need, and they passed on it. I thought overall their draft was pretty good. I like, uh, um, you know, I, I love the second pick of Mayer after dealing, um, you know, the tight end of the offseason um, to the Giants. But uh, um, we'll see if, if not addressing that corner in the first or second round with one of those guys that it's a kind of a plug and play physical corner ends up hurting the Raiders or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trevor Match will be joining us at the top of the hour. We'll be breaking down all of these picks uh, by the Raiders over the weekend. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock uh, as we now talk uh, NBA and NHL playoffs. Chuck, let's first start with the Lakers and the Warriors matchup. Uh, I, I was a little bit curious about the, the line 
that was set here for this series, especially when you go back, say, to the first round series where the Sacramento Kings were the three seed, the Warriors were the six seed, but the Warriors, as we talked about before, before the series started, a very heavy favorite, or right around the 270, 280 range, and they didn't have home court advantage. So now they get by the Kings, they're facing the Lakers, which I understand, very, very public, popular team when it comes to betting, and when you do have LeBron James, you look at this, the Warriors have home court advantage here as the higher seed and they open like around a dollar 65 or so in some places got bet down to only a dollar 50 i i see there's some value here with the defending champs um there is t uh you know we've seen some of that action as well i i think ever since the lakers were you know anywhere from 100 to 1 to 150 or 200 to 1 industry-wide in late november um, they've been kind of that Vogue team that everybody bet. Um, you know, I think because of the value, our close proximity to Southern California, um, you know, I think we all kind of maybe underestimated them a bit. They come out of the first playoff series. Um, there, there is liability on the Lakers. There's no question, I think, not only with us, but, uh, you know, I've heard industry-wide. So they're definitely a team that we're rooting against right now. Warriors are, you know, kind of a small, small favorite in game one. Ticket count favors the Warriors just slightly. I'll just be curious to see who we kind of need throughout each game um, if the public kind of shifts off that a little bit. Um, but early action on the series price was clearly um, on the Lakers getting that plus price. All right. So you got the Warriors a dollar fifty favorite. You got plus money on the Lakers. And then in game one tonight, we see the number right around four, four and a half in favor of Golden State. Chuck, uh, some thoughts and where's the money going in this game? Yeah, the number seems to be creeping up a little bit, T, industry-wide. Um, again, ticket count does favor um, the Warriors a little bit in this one, and we're starting to see um, a little bit of action come in on that side. Uh, not enough to kind of push us up yet, but it looks like uh, we might get this game a little bit higher than what it currently is. And I know this would probably be ideal if it was a Western Conference final or, you know, especially when you got Steph and LeBron, especially with the Lakers and the Warriors and the history and everything there. But, uh, I mean, you couldn't ask really for a, a better series coming up here because I would anticipate not only are you going to get a lot of action, but I think you're going to get a lot of two-way action here from game to game. That'll be the key, T. I mean, I, you know, we, we've talked about it in the NBA where the, the zigzag theory kind of applies a little bit based on what happens in the, in the first two games. If, if the home team kind of holds serve and then you go on the road, um, you see action on that, on that road team going back home. But I think for our side, outside of any liability we have on the future book, having Lakers Warriors is great. I mean, it's definitely, you know, being a late game every night, it's going to drum up some action. There's going to be a lot of stuff tied um, into those two teams going into the late games. Um, so Lakers Warriors for us is definitely a win-win. All right. What are you seeing with uh, game number two tonight at the Garden as the Knicks are hosting the Heat? And we saw what Miami did in that first round. Man, they, they just kept on going in game number one, taking care of the Knicks. We know Jimmy Butler has got that injury. Uh, he was at the shoot around today. It looks like indications that he will play unless you've got some, some, uh, some other news, uh, that's more updated here, Chuck. But we look at this game tonight and the Knicks, you know, a big favorite right around the seven, seven and a half point range, right? And this is, uh, I, I probably popular for, like you said, the bounce back, the zigzag theory happening, but, I don't know about you, but if Jimmy Butler is is hitting the court, 
I, I, I don't want to go against them. I mean, it just seems like this Miami Heat team, they've got guys that have actually been in these playoff situations before where the Knicks really don't, even though the, the Knicks have the home court. Well, there's been a lot of enthusiasm for the Knicks in the postseason. You know, getting the Knicks to win a playoff series, you could just tell that there was an elevated level of excitement. You know, basketball in New York. I think losing the first game, this becomes kind of a must game for them. And that's why you're seeing ticket counts probably about 3-1 to one, um, in favor of the Knicks here, T. Um, I, I know the Jimmy Butler factor, but Miami's kind of done what they intended to do, and that is they've sold home court now. Right. Um, so this is a must game for the Knicks. I don't think they can afford to fall behind 2-0 in this season, um, in this series. Uh, we're going to be Heat fans tonight uh, when this game tips off, no question. And I imagine, uh, uh, Chuck, that you were uh, Sixers fans last night as uh, the Sixers won the game outright over the Celtics as a as a 9.5 or 10-point favorite in that game, despite no Joel Embiid. Uh, how'd that work out for you last night? Worked out really well, T. Anytime you've got a kind of a prohibitive dog on the road um, winning, you know, like either game one of a series or game seven of a series, um, it's usually always good for us. On the flip side, I know we'll get to it and we'll talk about the NHL having, you know, um, Florida go into the Garden and win that game and having, of course, the Kraken upset the defending champions. You know, both uh, good outcomes for our side of the counter as well. No doubt about it. Phoenix and Denver, too, Chuck. You would think, you know, we know Phoenix opened the favor despite, you know, having the first two games on the road. Now they find themselves down 2 nothing. Uh, where do you think this goes? You know, see, I don't know. I think, you know, Denver just kind of was under the radar all year, although the number one seed in the West um, just didn't get the same love. And I think when you looked at being out West and being there with the Suns, Lakers, and Warriors, you kind of understand why a little bit. They've got the talent. They played so well this year. They're well-balanced. But I think you looked at it and, hey, it's got to be Lakers, Warriors, Suns coming out of the West. <sighs> and I think that's the reason you saw them be kind of a bet against a bit. They were actually a good score for us with them winning that game. Kind of curious to see how the public bets this series um, the rest of the way right now. But Suns will be back home. Uh, must win for them um, going back home and, and having an opportunity to, um, to to really kind of make this a series or not. They're a little bit banged up. We saw CP3 get banged up a little bit, but we'll see how it all works out. All right, the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, we go into the second round, the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers, both teams uh, pretty rested and uh, ready to go tomorrow night uh, here at T-Mobile Arena, Chuck. And the Edmonton Oilers, despite uh, being the road team, they're the favorites in the series, a slight one, right? Uh, how much Golden Knights money are you seeing? Well, sorry, I'm losing my voice a bit, T, but I'm, I'm sorry. it's an interesting but... series. It's an interesting series because Edmonton, the last two years, is undefeated in T-Mobile. They're 4-0. They've won six of the last eight games during the regular season against the Knights. So they've really kind of dominated a bit. From the business side of it, we're always rooting against VGK. I'm curious to see how this series works out. Right. Chuck, well, I appreciate you powering through this. Obviously, man, uh, you're fighting it there. Uh, I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you big time, my friend. Thank you much, man. Yeah, you, no, no problem. You, hey, just just relax. Have 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 yourself a good uh, good night. Enjoy the action, man. And uh, we'll talk. To, right. We'll talk to you next week, brother. 
All right. Thanks, buddy. Sorry about that. No worries. All good. I appreciate Chuck Esposito powering through that uh, down a little bit under the weather today, but giving us some strong stuff there, some strong information, no doubt about it. And we look at the Golden Knights against the Edmonton Oilers. Man, this is going to be a great series. Remember, both teams finished very, very strong in the regular season. The Oilers, you know, had that big streak, 10-game win streak down the stretch. And uh, now, look what we got. We've got the Golden Knights, and we got the Edmonton Oilers, and they're going to get it on here Wednesday night. Look for a high-scoring series. And for me, I want to see what the Golden Knights do defensively to slow down Connor McDavid and the rest of uh, – those Oilers and Broussois. How good is he going to be in this scenario? Look at you, Nubchuck. This isn't even the Bee Gees. Wait, wait, you give me the Japanese Bee Gees. Is that what you're doing here? I kind of watch Bullet Train. Bullet Train! Yes! Yeah. I remember when uh, the movie came out, I gave the review and I talked about this. You said that it, it yeah. was the greatest, like you loved this song that came out. I, I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Staying Alive, but the way they did that, yeah. Yeah. It was a little, a little different rendition. So, there you go. Why are you so late watching Bullet Train? I kind of work all the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said kind of, because that's what you do you kind of work. You know who doesn't kind of work? Trevor effing Maddich. Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Nobody breaks it down better than Trevor Maddich when it comes to football. And probably food, too, next to me. But Trevor knows these players, scouts them, all the info, all the tape, watched them live for three, four years in college. He's going to break it down for us, the NFL Draft, the winners, the losers, and each Raider pick we're going to talk about from my man Trevor Maddich. We continue on. Terrible Tuesday. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Looking forward to the Warriors and Lakers tonight. Game number one of the Western Conference semifinals. Again, hot, getting heated. The Steph and LeBron matchup continues. All right, breaking it down for you. This hour, we will talk the Oakland A's coming to Las Vegas. Well, we've been talking a lot about that lately, but maybe some other news that's come up now that 
maybe it's not a slam dunk or sure thing, or use a baseball terminology, a home run. Alan Snell will join us, LV Sports Biz. All right. He's going to break it down for us at the bottom of the hour. Talk about the stadium issues here in Vegas. Another stadium? Another professional sports team? Why not? Let's go. But, uh, yeah, interesting take on the cost of that. Where's that money coming from? We'll talk about that with Alan Snell. All right. Uh, this hour also, NFL draft. We put a nice little bow and a little wrap on that from last weekend. The Raiders, as we know, had nine picks. We will go over those picks. We'll, we'll talk about winners, losers of the draft with our good friend, the one and only Trevor Maddich. And like I said, nobody, and I mean nobody, breaks it down like Trevor Maddich. He's followed these guys. He knows them inside and out. No better draft analyzer than Trevor Maddich, ESPN. I, I Forget ESPN. I got to say, the T.C. Martin Show's very own Trevor Maddich. How's that, my man? There you go. I like that, T.C. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Uh, I am good. I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Did, did you recover? I know it was a busy weekend for you. Yeah, no, it's really busy. There's this... Still got a lot of information bouncing around in my head. I, I just have two brain cells. Every once in a while, they they collide and make a spark. That's good. But now there's other stuff going in there, and so I'm working on uh, collating it all, basically. So, do you like like wake up in the middle of the night, or will you just be like in the middle of the day, you know, going down the grocery store aisle, you know, going down uh, aisle number seven, looking for your favorite cereal or whatever, and then you'll say, "Wait, oh, that's too deep coverage. Oh no, that's that. Oh yeah, wait a minute, I, for, I, for, I forgot about that guy. You know, is, is that what happens? Yeah, no, no." Well, I'll look at some shoppers box out. Yeah. You know, there's only one purse left or, you know, one, uh, one, you know, really prime avocado and somebody yeah. will box out and go get it, man. There's, there's all kinds of skills that are being used, uh, outside the football field that, uh, that work really well on the football field. Uh, you know, as a former center, I'd love to see you snap an avocado to somebody you're in the grocery store. I mean, that'd probably go viral, Trevor. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, but a lot of things go viral that you don't really want to go viral. People think that the, uh, that any publicity is good publicity. I disagree with that. Yes. Any publicity that, that, uh, advances your brand is good publicity. Uh, I don't know if I have a brand, but I know what I don't want my brand to be. And that's to be that, that idiot that's throwing vegetables around <laughs> in the grocery store just for clicks. So, you know, I, uh, I know what I don't want. Uh, but you do want an avocado though. Oh, listen, avocado is high on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like tableside guacamole made right there. Ooh, there he goes. That's Trevor Matt talking a little food there. We always bring it back to food as we should. All right, I want to talk with you about the Raiders selections. Okay, we know the Raiders had 12 uh, picks to start with, and then they, they traded uh, a few off. So they ended up with nine. It started with the number seven pick, and maybe a little semi-controversial. This isn't a, Cle a Cleveland Farrell type of controversy like we've had in years past or Damon Arnett and, and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're picking seven, Trevor, as you well know, and we talked about this leading up to it, you got to score and, and you got to hit. All right. They go Tyree Wilson, the linebacker out of Texas Tech. And I'm curious what your take is on Tyree Wilson as the Raiders selection at seven. Well, he, a lot of, a lot of scouts had Tyree Wilson as the fifth overall prospect at any position. So at sixth, according to those, those scouts, he certainly was worthy of that particular pick. 
Now, I don't think the Raiders needed a guy at that position, edge rusher. You know, they, they could have taken Jalen Carter. They could have taken other people a corner. Um, that would have given them, I think, more of a combination of high grade and position of need. But in taking Wilson, I don't mind it if he was definitely the highest graded guy because you can't have too many pass rushers. I mean, take a look at how the New York Giants beat Tom Brady and the Patriots a few years ago. Um, you know, they, the offense, they had some miracles, the Giants did. But on defense, they ran four defensive ends, and they told them, to go get the passer every play. Play the run on the way to the passer if you feel you must, and let the linebackers clean anything up behind them. And they did. They got after Brady, and that's, that's how they won. And in a league that is a quarterback, uh, a quarterback-centric league more and more and more, being able to disrupt the other guy's quarterback is critical, and it never bothers me to get a potential elite pass rusher. Now, there, there's issues that, that he has that concern me a little bit that he'll need to – um, he'll need to handle in the NFL and get better. I mean, in college, he got by a lot on his physical gifts. In other words, he was really tall. And college tackles didn't really have a, much ability to, to do anything about that. In the NFL, he's going to have tackles uh, right in front of him. And even with shorter arms, he's going to have to do more than just have long arms. Because he didn't show enough, in my opinion, uh, in college of a, of a quick burst off the line. And then when you hit the corner, you got to be able to dip low. If you don't dip low, a tackle will, will just push you on by the quarterback. You got to dip under that block. He didn't show a lot of dip and probably because he didn't have to, you know, he just beat guys with his long arms and all that, you know, and you know, his hands in terms of technique and hand fighting on a pass rush, take one move with his hands, and then if that's beaten, go to a counter move. If that's beaten, go to a third move, all in the same pass rush. He didn't show a lot of that in college because he didn't have to. So I'm not saying he can't do these things. I'm just saying in college he didn't show them. And in order for him to get the most out of his physique, he's going to have to to really improve his technique and become a, a fanatic hmm. at first move, second move, third move uh, on the fly. If he does those things, then he'll be a phenomenal disruptor for the Raiders. You know, I hate to even say this or project this. And I know I've heard a couple other people say it too, that, you know, he kind of has the makings of being a first round bust when you select someone that high. And if he doesn't, you know, perform lights out and doesn't put up a lot of big numbers and, you know, isn't getting sacks or you know, a whole bunch of tackles, then he could get labeled with that. And I think where some of this comes from, Trevor, is there has been some question marks regarding his motor. And, you know, you talk a lot about that. Now you look at that. You don't like guys that are taking off plays or whatever. Did you notice any of that from him when you're going back and, and watching, you know, the film, the tape or whatever at his time at Texas Tech? I don't want to rain on the guy. I think he's a really good player with a lot of great potential. And and people that, you know, are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to scout him, uh, many of them have said the same thing. But I wouldn't say that motor worries me as much as anger. Okay. You know, I'd like to see him take on the block with, with a little more anger. Like, how dare you come here to block me, right? And, and show the, the violence in attacking and shedding the block. You know, he tends to catch blocks a little bit more. And so, you know, in the NFL, you, you can't be that way. You you have to play. You know, I was, my style of play 
uh, in the league was, and college too, was more technically excellent than it was vicious warthog, right? right? But when the opposing team came out for pregame warm-up, I was livid. I, mean, I was furious that they would even show up. Now, I know that they had to show up because they had a game to play just like I did. But, you know, there was this, this anger at them. And then before every play, even when I'm thinking about, okay, what's the, you know, I played in different, different positions. So I had to, you know, I'm in a right guard for part of the game and then the left tackle gets hurt and I got to go over there and, you know, all this stuff. So I'm watching coverage shells and I know what our offensive personnel group and, um, uh, formation is. I know what their tendencies are. I take a look at what the lineup is and the defender in front of me and I kind of narrow down what he might be able to do or be coached to do in that situation. Then on the first step, then I'll know what he's doing and I won't have to like be ready for every single possible thing, right? Well, in thinking all that way, when the ball snapped, if I'm sitting there in a cerebral mode, I could be doing the right things. I'll get hit in the mouth and knocked flat on my back. So while I'm doing that, even if I'm not mad because I'm thinking too much, I get myself mad because you have to play football mad. And that was a balance for me that, that seemed to work. Um, the reason I say that is that, you know, that if you, you know, if he doesn't show that kind of anger in taking on blocks and shedding blocks, then guys in training camp right off the bat are going to end up just tossing him around like a rag doll. Right. And so he'll learn pretty quickly to be, to be really, 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 really hostile. Because if he isn't, then he's in trouble. We know he started his college career at A&M and then he transferred to Texas Tech. Do we know the reason for that? I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what happened and why that happened. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's uh, Tyree Wilson. Uh, there's Raiders select him at, at number seven. Great analogy there by, by Trevor Maddich. Uh, Michael Mayer, the tight end, uh, from Notre Dame. Uh, good route runner, good hands. I mean, that's what I see. Uh, what do you think with Michael Mayer? And I know that now that Darren Waller is gone, there is a, a void at tight end. Uh, should have the Raiders, you know, picked him at this, uh, this, uh, this spot in the draft early on? Yeah, I, I think he'll be a, a solid player for them. He, you know, you start with his hand in the dirt. He's a willing blocker. You know, he'll stick his face in there and, and be tenacious as a blocker. And so that that's important because, I mean, the Raiders, you know, led the league, at least their running back did, in uh, in rushing last year. And, and, you know, the offensive line's on the way up. You know, it's interesting they didn't draft an offensive line until, what, the fifth round or something. But, you know, they, 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 they want to continue to improve in that. And Mayer will help them there. But they didn't draft him to be a, a tackle playing tight end. That's a compliment to his game. He, as a, as a pass catcher, is phenomenal when it's a fight for the ball. You know, he, he um, the contested catch is what he specializes in. He's not particularly fast. I mean, he's 6'4", about 250. He only ran a 4'7". But for that size, that's, that's okay. He's not going to burn anybody deep. And he's not going to really separate a lot in terms of superior route running, separating from a, a good cover guy. But when the ball's coming in, he's just going to beast the ball away from people. It always bothers me when pass catchers wait for the ball to arrive. You know, and hey, and if the defender gets it, oh, well, I'm sorry. I, you know, hey, the defender got it. No, no, it's got to be proprietary. That is my ball. 
You will not touch that ball. And they will fight for it like they're two junkyard dogs fighting over the last bone in the junkyard. And that's how Michael Mayer plays. So he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly athletic. But he is quite predictably effective. And you can plan around a guy like that. That's an uh, angry uh, Tre- Trevor Madge again. See how he, he just got angry right there? Uh, that, that's good. Uh, good analogy. I like that. Byron Young, the defense in Alabama. All right. So I wonder what you think of him. And again, anytime you draft someone from Alabama, you're thinking, okay, hey, uh, we're, we're getting some good pedigree here. All right. And, the, you know, drafted someone from Georgia and Alabama. But when you look at Byron Young, I noticed, you know, he only had four sacks. And I, I, you know, Will Anderson got a lot of the love and we, everyone loves Will Anderson. I get that. But, uh, what are your thoughts about Byron Young? You know, Byron Young is the kind of guy you want on your team. You know, he, he, everywhere he's been, he has gotten effusive praise from his coaches and his teammates for leadership. You know, I mean, just leading by example, leading vocally. He makes your locker room better. And because of that, he has a reputation also of working like crazy to develop the craft of playing defensive line. And so you see that show up on film. You see his hands be close together when he punches an offensive lineman. That gives him more power, and it takes away the offensive lineman's power because now the offensive lineman's hands are around the outside, right, a lot of the time. And so that gives him advantages, and that's coaching, and that's work to make it happen. He, he is outstanding at reading the play and getting near the play, anticipating what's happening, reading that first step, all those different things he excels at. That's part of his leadership and doing the small things, the grinding things that make you good at your craft. Now, he's not particularly sudden off the ball. He's not particularly quick. His, his footwork is not particularly agile. Uh, and, you know, these are things that limit him athletically. Um, and so he's a rotational guy that playing at full out 100%, like a guy rotating in for hockey, and then, and then stepping out, combined with his technique and combined with, you know, the work that he puts in will make him an, an effective rotational guy. And I don't expect him to be threatening for the Pro Bowl, but I expect him to make the Raiders better as a team overall. All right, he is Trevor Manich, ESPN, and talking about uh, the Raiders draft here. So of the other picks, you know, Trevor, you had Trey Tucker, wide receiver from Cincinnati, uh, Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback from Purdue, Ja'Korian Bennett, the cornerback uh, from Maryland, uh, Christopher Smith, the safety from Georgia, uh, Amari Bernie, the linebacker from Florida. We look at those guys. Uh, any one of those guys stand out for you? Did you, did you do much work on, on any of those guys? And what can you tell, uh, us about any of those? Yeah. The, now we're starting to get to the place where any draftee, this is just not a Raiders thing. Right. They're going to have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so the idea then is to take a guy that you can maximize his strengths in your game plan and you can try to coach the weaknesses into becoming at least neutral, if not strengths, right? And so, so you look at him that way. I mean, Trey Tucker, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, really productive. I mean, he's 5'9", 182. So he's kind of thick, but he doesn't play strong. He's got good explosiveness and he's fast. I mean, he ran a 4'4 at the combine, you know, but he's, he's, he's easily 
disrupted off of his line. Let's put it that way. A physical corner will cause him problems. But he's incredibly quick on short routes. He's incredibly shifty on screens and jet sweeps and things like that. He's got the speed to go deep, but he's got a short catch radius, and he's not particularly uh, effective at winning the 50-50 ball. So he'll send him deep once in a while, I'm sure, depending on who who's covering him. But he's the kind of a guy that can really help you with the short catch, run after the catch. And so I, I you know, he, he's got some things that he can do for you. Jacorian Bennett's is, is kind of strange to me. He's a corner out of Maryland. He's got good height, good length, but he's really fast. I mean, he ran four, three at the combine, this guy. Um, but when you look at how he bursts on receivers, he doesn't burst like a guy that's a four, three. He doesn't show as much recognition yet as I think he should in order to be able to use that speed. And so a lot of times fast guys, will they're really fast, and they use all that speed to run out of position faster, right? <laughs> right. And so, I mean, he's a guy that's got the tools, if he can just latch onto the team somehow or even the practice squad, he's got the physical tools to eventually be quite effective. But for now, you know, he's got stuff to worry about. Aiden O'Connell, uh, Aiden O'Connell, I don't think is the, the quarterback of the future for any team. I mean, he was very productive at Purdue, but he's kind of plotting with his footwork. He locks onto receivers. You know, there, there, there's a lot of things about him that would require a tremendous amount of improvement to think that he's going to be your starting quarterback, right? So, so he's a backup, right? Well, if he's a backup. You know, and, and you're going to take him in the fourth round. Well, okay, so you take a backup quarterback in the fourth round. Is, is that what you want to do? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I just don't see his ceiling as being high enough to be more than that. Now, keep in mind, I like him. He was very productive. But there are things about his game that are just too slow. Uh, at the NFL level. Also, you know, throwing the ball deep, um, he loses trajectory, he loses touch. A really good short and medium. But in college, that works. In the NFL, it doesn't. Chris Smith, uh, out of Georgia, safety. Love this guy in general. He's limited athletically, but he knows what's happening. He made massive plays for Georgia, not because he's particularly big, fast, um, or explosive, but because he recognized what was happening immediately, and he got the first step and ended up in front of the receiver, intercepting the ball and taking it for six, that kind of a thing. So, you know, he's he's, he's not going to win with athleticism, but, again, he'll make your team better from a character standpoint, special teams, and a, and a good rotational guy. You know, Bernie's going to be a really good um, um, special teams linebacker. He um, plays really aggressively, really aggressively. He's only got one full year as a starter, though, so his instincts as a linebacker are not – uh, where they need to be. He'll need time, but he's the kind of guy that'll be on your team for a while as a core special teams guy and having a chance to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to, to O'Connell, I, I, first of all, you're, you're spot on, I think, with, with everything. And I, again, the way you dive into this, I mean, you know it better than anybody, but just, you know, the little bit that I've watched of, of these p- specific players, I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Aiden O'Connell, I got a chance to watch him. I don't want to say a, a lot, but I just was not impressed with this guy at all. And you know what my, my take from Aiden O'Connell was? The sideline 
um, discipline that I guess you would call it that I would see coming from Jeff Brom on him. When he would come out of a game, I would just see Brom just light this guy up like a Christmas tree. Like, how did you miss that guy? You've got to move your feet better. You got to get out of the pocket, you know? And I just, I call Aiden O'Connell a shaky at best. And I know what you're saying, you know, his final year at Purdue, yet he, he was somewhat productive. He was, but I mean, earlier on, I didn't say this guy was a, it was ninth on the depth chart, you know, when he first got to Purdue, which maybe is not too uncommon, I guess. I didn't know the depth chart went nine deep uh, for quarterback. So, but yeah, I, I thought that was a very curious pick, uh, pick by the Raiders. I, I really did. Yeah, again, it's just because of the upside, the upside potential. I'll tell you why, you know, Brom was probably yelling at him a lot of the time. It's because he didn't see that guy because he never looked there. Right. You know, the defensive book on O'Connell in college was he's going to lock on his primary receiver. And if you're in the underneath zone, you can go ahead and head over there right now. Mm-hmm. And so he'll need to get that fixed in a hurry in the NFL. Right. And the only other guy that we uh, didn't talk about was uh, Nesta Jade uh, Silvera, I guess the defensive tackle out of Arizona. Uh, any thoughts on him? Yeah, Arizona State. He's, you know, he's a plugger. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy that's going to have a whole lot of, um, you know, upfield disruptive ability, but he's pretty good in a short area. He can kind of not dominate, but he can be very effective in the in the short area, especially when you see a guard firing off on him. He often will beat that guard to the punch. In other words, the guard's going to step off and fire to that guy and hit him, and and he's the kind of a guy that'll hit the guard first, and that's good. Just just from there, having to go laterally to to chase plays and stay in his gap and things like that. Um, you know, he's not elite at that, you know, and he tends to stick on blocks and stuff like that. So, so we'll see, we'll see how he's able to, to stick on the team. Um, because I, you know, he is limited in anything outside of that short area. So Trevor, I, I've never been one to, to grade drafts. I don't believe in them because I think you need three years to grade a draft to see what, what happens. But everybody wants to jump out and, and say, okay, after the draft is over, and even though these guys haven't even got on, on a field with their new team yet, but you know, knowing that, you know, we can't properly grade a draft, just, uh, what you saw with these picks with the Raiders, how do you think they did? You know, I think overall, I think the Raiders, um, they got guys that have a chance to either help them or even be stars, but they've really got to step up. Tyree Wilson will define this draft. Their first round draft choice, edge rusher out of Texas Tech, pick number seven. If he is not a guy that can step out on day one, at least in pass rushing situations and be a force, then this draft will have a real anchor around it because I don't see anybody else in this draft that has the ability to really, you know, be a star, to be, to be a force. Michael Mayer, I think, will be steady. He's a good pick in number two. Everybody else, you know, is, you know, are guys that can, that have a chance to play well, but I don't see that superstar, that, that crazy, a crazy guy that, you know, makes things happen in ways that, uh, are not coached, but just because they're that amazing of an athlete. That guy is Tyree Wilson. Mm. And so this draft needs to have him become a star, needs to have Mayer live up to that level of highly productive, and then several of the other guys 
step in to be at the beginning very good rotational players um or this draft might be seen as a bit of a dud right right all right uh, wrapping things up here the houston texans they get cj stroud and then they trade up and they get will anderson uh some nice moves here uh by the texans it looks like here D'Amico ryan's uh may bring a, a different attitude uh, a fiery attitude maybe an angry attitude to this team uh quick thoughts about the texans and and the stroud pick and the anderson pick and what else they're doing there yeah you know i think this is one of the better drafts um you know the eagles and the texans are two of the ones i like the most and the reason really is at the top of the texans draft they for years have had the short end of the quarterback stick against any individual opponent on any given Sunday. In other words, the other side is going to have a better quarterback than Houston did, and the other side is probably going to have a better pass rush to disrupt the other quarter, the Houston's quarterback than Houston would have, right, most of the time. So by taking C.J. Stroud with the second pick in the draft, uh, he's he is a guy that's worthy of that risk. I'm not crazy about taking quarterbacks that high. I would rather get them in different ways. But Stroud... I think is a guy that could do a lot of things and has the potential to to elevate them to where their quarterback can compete at a level of most other quarterbacks that they would face. And then with the next pick, number three, they take renowned quarterback wrecker, Will Anderson. So on the one hand, they upgrade their own quarterback position, and then with the next pick, they degrade the opponent's quarterback <laughs> right. with Will Anderson out there. And so I think, you know, when those two guys get up to speed, I think it's going to be a massive improvement in the way the Texans play. And they need that. When you look at the rest of the division, you know, the, the Titans took Will Levis in the second round. They traded up to get him. And, you know, a lot of people think he can develop into a very good quarterback. Anthony Richardson went at number four to the Colts, right? And then you've got Jacksonville, and they've already got Trevor Lawrence, who's got a few years under his belt. I mean, the, the Texans needed to upgrade their quarterback and upgrade their ability to degrade the opponent's quarterback, or they'll never make it out of their division. And I think they've got a good chance of making that happen with these two picks. How do you feel about, you mentioned the Eagles, a team that goes heavily uh, from players from one school? I mean, they had a couple Georgia players already from last year's draft, and then you nab another three or four from this one. I know they're joking and saying, "Hey, you know, we, uh, you know, we're, we're basically, uh, you know, uh, playing the SEC here." What's going on? What do you, what do you think about the Eagles? And why not? I mean, they yeah. draft guys off of last year's national championship team, Georgia. Yeah. Now they draft other guys off of this year's national championship team, Georgia. I mean, they know they know how to win. They know how to prepare to win. A lot of that has to do with with the culture at Georgia. And so they've got Jalen Carter at number nine. A lot of people think that Carter, uh, defensive tackle out of Georgia, was the most talented individual player in the draft, but he had some, some off-the-field issues that, that uh, made some teams shy away. So they picked him up. Nolan Smith, a lot of people have as the top 15 pick. He's a linebacker out of Georgia, edge rusher, really fast, just amazing play. They got him at number 30. Right? That's, that's just amazing. The other Georgia guy of note is in round four. Uh, they got Keely Ringo, corner. Now, Keely Ringo is, a, is a just absolutely um, physically on paper. He checks every box in terms of his, his high. I mean, the guy's 6'2", 207 is a corner. And in the combine, he ran 4.36. Now, in college, the reason he dropped so much is that in college, he tended to disappear. And this is where he needs to live up to that Georgia culture. 
Because there were plenty of times in college when he busted coverages, when, you know, his eyes weren't disciplined and guys ran past him, you know, but he's got the physical ability to be a, a, a high first round corner. So we'll see if they can coach him up uh, and get him rolling. But I think Philly may have had the best draft of all because of those guys and others. It's amazing, right? Uh, to, to trade up and, and get picks and then, uh, you know, score with the guys that, uh, you know, from programs like the national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. And they're the, you know, they were just in the Super Bowl last year. I mean, it looks like Philadelphia, if they play their cards right, they could be a force to reckon with for many, many years to come. So yeah, very impressive draft. And we really don't hear, you know, uh, teams that are uh, drafting at the bottom who were just appeared in a Super Bowl saying that, Hey, you know, look what a great draft they had really building for the future. We don't hear that. And and we're hearing that right now. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. You're right about that. And so it's pretty smart for teams that NFL teams that are already, already playing at a winning level, bringing in guys that know how to do it. Yep. So they don't have to just teach them, you know, and that's a good thing. And that, and that doesn't mean the guys farther down the draft aren't the same kind of guy. But what you really want ideally is guys that have that kind of solid college football program culture who also are elite athletes. Right. And because of a trade, Philly has had the number nine pick. For goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nolan Smith was at number 30 because that's what they were picking at number right. 30 because they were, you know, but you know, they had number nine and it's yeah. so also because of, because of a, an earlier issue. So that's a good thing. All right. Trevor, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, great stuff as usual. Get yourself a little bit of rest here as, uh, you know, you enjoy the rest of the off season. Thanks, DC. We'll be watching Tyree. He's big. I know. I know. We'll we'll be talking more about him with you. We'll see how he develops in the rest of these Raider draft picks. All right, brother. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, DC. My man, Trevor Maddich from ESPN. No one does it better when it comes to breaking down these players. He's seen them. He's watched them through their entire career. And uh, one of the hardest working guys, uh, you know, in this business. My man Trevor Maddich, that's why he's won 15 Emmy Awards. We come back. Alan Snell is going to join us from LV Sports Biz. We're going to talk A's. We're going to talk Raiders, Stadium, and more. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. So wide you can't get around it. So low you can't get under it. is in the house. That's right, baby. Get ready for the meat hook. Hey, come on down. See the show live on Friday afternoons from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Westgate Las Vegas. Of course, we are there inside the world-famous Superbook. 2 to 4 p.m. Great stuff there. And great stuff here as well, too. Alan Snell joins us. LV Sports Biz. We talk a little Las Vegas business here. And I like to give him, I like to call him the meat hook. Not because he's hangs out in freezers. Just because he knows what the meat hook's all about. It's a great story. Great story. Love it. What's going on, brother? I I, I tell you, I was listening to uh, your previous guest, Mm -hmm. and he's so descriptive with, like, the physical attributes of the players. I was thinking, what if he, like, you know, reports and analyzes journalists that way, like kind of a little blubbery around the midsection, slow on the deadline time, you know? I feel sorry. I mean, the guy just like carves up those, 
you know, poor prospects. <laughs> Trevor's the best. He I is. Mean, he's good. Yeah. He's very, uh, but, you can tell he's uh, puts a lot of time into oh, it. No, the best. No question. So dedicated. And uh, we had another one of your uh, regular guests here on the show yesterday. Jim Barnett joined us again. Oh, crazy horse. Crazy, Come on now. The crazy the horse joined us. a million layups. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and again, a guy who's been doing it for 30 plus years as the Warriors TV and radio analyst. People forget he had a little stint with the New York Knicks he late did. in his career. And, and Boston Celtics. I know too much sports with. crap. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's I'll good. <laughs> but yeah, Jim Barnett, well, we'll uh, get, that's well, 75 Warriors team. We'll yeah. get to all the boring uh, stadium subsidy tax talk now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He is Alan Snell. He is our guy for boring stadium tax stuff. <laughs> that's it, man. Okay, so big talk, of course, the, the A's, you know, moving here. and But now... It feels like, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong here, it just feels like we have a little bit more controversy. And we had talked about much this. Much more. Much yes, more. We, we've talked about the stadium issue for the last year or so, uh, you know, with all the meetings that the A's brass have had and coming here, looking at land, meeting with the, uh, the convention visitors authority and all that sort of thing. And then boom, now we get the news, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Here we go. Uh, we're going to purchase the land. They found the land they want, the 49 acres over there off of uh, Tropicana and uh, off of I-15. And then now we're hearing that John Fisher, the owner of the A's, is saying like, well, uh, I need $500 million. And I think that caught some people off guard because we always knew that that was kind of a deal, deal killer with everything else we talked about going back you know, to Golden Knights and then the Raiders and everything else. And now we're hearing this for a franchise that has been rather dismal, a team that is definitely the worst team in baseball this year and last year for that matter as well, too. So we hear that Fisher wants $500 million to build this ballpark. Give us the details. Well, you know, this is kind of a, you know, this is a really different animal than what we saw with the Raiders. The Raiders was this powerful, slow, slow moving freight train that had everything in place. You had Sheldon Adelson and Brian Sandoval, the governor at the time, the conductors, and they had a big process involved. And, you know, they methodically went through the process of, you know, getting the $750 million commitment to help build the stadium. This deal is like a quickie, thank you, ma'am, kind of deal where, you know, I mean, obviously there's always been talk about Las Vegas out there being used as leverage in the Oakland talks, but now, you know, they, they've done something kind of a little, um, little dangerous. I mean, they have cut Oakland out and there are no other markets and they have no other leverage to politically negotiate. Like you mentioned, this $500 million in incentives, Obviously, the big piece is the sports entertainment tax district that would uh, include the, uh, the the ballpark of thirty thousand to thirty two thousand. Would be probably retractable uh, in style. And you know, I've heard figures anywhere from one billion to one point five billion. I got to tell you, usually you know you'd see kind of a nice rendering with like the, with a snazzy yeah. uh, backdrop of the strip. You know, just like the Raiders stadium had with, you know, with the strip in the background. Uh, we haven't had that. The athletics don't even have a stadium design architect on board. Uh, they've, they have no political leverage. It's pretty much, you know, all or nothing in Carson City. And that's what they're doing right now. They are talking with state legislators, uh, doing a lot of the behind the, you know, door kind of discussions with their lobbyists, um, talking to state lawmakers to see, what kind of appetite there is for, like you said, up to $500 million in incentive. There would be tax credits thrown in there as well. 
And, you know, the one thing which is fascinating, TC, is that, you know, at first blush, it, it looks like it was, this thing was kind of slapped together. Mm -hmm. But on the, uh, on the other hand, you just get the sense that, is this thing baked or inside wired with Joe Lombardo? Because, you know, why would the A's just like completely cut out uh, the city of Oakland? They're done. Just show up at the doorstep uh, of, you know, Clark County with your hat out with $500 million, you know, value of public money involved. If they're not telling us something that we should know. And Joe Lombardo, um, he's the X factor. He's the new governor. I mean, you know Mark Davis. You know how much he despised the athletics. We don't have to go into the history of the, the horrible uh, relations they had at the Coliseum. But the A's caught a big break by Sisolak getting defeated because Sisolak was a buddy of Mark Davis. Mm -hmm. right. Joe Lombardo is a whole different animal. Joe Lombardo is kind of a blank slate, if you will. Yeah. You know, and he obviously has the door open for negotiations and discussions. But again, you have to wonder do the A's know something that we don't because it looks like the whole deal was like thrown together, you know, kind of like a, a bachelor's dinner on a Thursday night. And then you have, you know, um, okay, we're in Carson city. You know, again, you throw this up against what happened with the Raiders. There was a very methodical process involved and you had major political and, and people on the strip, MGM resorts, Sheldon Adelson, they were all on board for the project. Have you heard anyone in powerful positions advocating for the Oakland athletics baseball park deal? No, but here's the thing though. I mean, you say it was kind of thrown together, and, and this news that we're hearing about the $500 million, that kind of hits you. But we got to remember, we've been talking about this for going on two years, that, and even longer, I've been talking about because of my Northern California ties, that this thing, you know, they were supposed to build, you know, a, a waterfront ballpark, okay? They talked about Jack London Square. They talked about the water. I mean, going... Eight, eight years or so now, eight, ten years, we've been hearing this and they, okay, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. And that same time, you know, the Raiders situation was going on as well, too. Okay. Well, would it be a dual facility? No, not, it won't be a dual facility. So now I got to work on saving the Raiders. Now we got to work on saving the A's. So let's just, you know, put the A's on the back burner here, even though they thought the A's might be an easier deal to do because it's a lesser stadium. It's a smaller stadium and you know, okay. You know, the A's are probably never going to leave. So once the Raiders finally did leave and then they found out that the A's were just, you know, really upset about the condition of the Coliseum. And they said, okay, enough's enough. We got to start looking at uh, other places. And then when they started visiting Las Vegas, then the mayor and other people, lobbyists and everybody in Oakland were kind of, you know, bent out of shape. So, well, well is this really going to go anywhere? So they felt, okay, like you said, they're using Las Vegas as a pawn to get their stadium built. Then finally, the A's just said, enough. You guys haven't moved. On eight years, you have not moved on this ballpark idea that we've had here. We've had renderings. We've had all this stuff. And it's like not going anywhere. Right. So I think they said, okay, now let's really engage with Vegas. Let's get Commissioner Rob Manfred involved here as well, too. And Manfred said, you know, I think we you really got to push Vegas, because we got two problems. We got Tampa Bay and we got Oakland. Neither one's probably going to work. And if we got a taker in Vegas, then go make that thing work. So then I think that's where it comes in. Like, okay, we want to make Vegas work. But like, to your point, it's like, okay, we're all in Vegas. We've had so many discussions and so many trips with these people, but now we're getting down to the bolts 
nuts and bolts of, okay, now how's it going to get financed? I think that's the, it's taken people about. Well, TC, I think you hit it on the head with the quote, let's make, let's make Las Vegas work. Mm. The problem is that where is Las Vegas saying that? I mean, mm. Manfred wants Las Vegas to cough up public money because in order for, uh, for the, uh, owners to approve this deal, they're going to have to do this very quickly to um, comply with a very ambitious timetable. Yep. They want the owners to approve this in the fall, which means they need to get that application to MLB in August. They're going to have to cut this deal literally in the yep. next four weeks. And, you know, the, the one thing to consider is the casual fan, even though they, you know, kind of held their nose and probably didn't appreciate the public contributing $750 million to an, an NFL team's you know, stadium construction bill. The point is the stadium has brought the Final Four. It brings in international soccer matches. It brings in the big, you know, all the big Taylor Swift and the boy. Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl. <laughs> and the boy band from Korea yeah. and this and that. So, you know, you could at least justify saying that this market needed the stadium. Mm-hmm. You just did not have the public uh kind of pull for a baseball park mm-hmm. and also something to keep in mind tc is that you know the magic be- behind the vegas golden knights is the fact that this community grew up with the golden knights from scratch mm-hmm. you know and i think that had a lot to do 100 percent. that had a lot to do with the emotional connection which translates into some of the highest tickets and ticket revenue uh in the nhl so the uh the oakland uh, athletic situation you know, it's a. I think it's a very different deal. Um, I, I got to tell you, I know you do like the betting odds and stuff. I don't do the bet, but if I had, you know, to me, it's like fifty-fifty whether this thing is, you know, going to actually happen. Right. You know, I. You know, there's a lot of missing, uh, you know, a lot of missing parts to this wheel. That, you know, that has to be filled in. And make no mistake about it. If this ballpark is here it's constructed there will be concerts there will be because now you have an outdoor venue if you choose to go outdoor or retractable roof that will hold more than t-mobile arena or any other arena so you know you can do a concert for 25 to 30 maybe thirty-five thousand. if you have you know floor seating and that sort of thing because we're already seeing major league ballparks do this when their teams are on the road before it was taboo but we're seeing Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, we're seeing uh, San Francisco, they're all doing no, concerts, no, that, so, no, so there will you, be... You have the, ven- the baseball venue yeah. can be used for yeah. other things, but keep in mind there's a lot of competition now. We have the you know 17,500 yeah. seat yeah. sphere coming online in November yeah. with U2 and there's a lot of hype with Madison Square oh. Garden behind that. Um, you know, don't forget, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean what's interesting about the, Ra- the Raiders indoor stadium is that I've talked to promoters and people who put on the events, like WWE, for example. It's almost like a very big T-Mobile arena. I yes, mean, correct. That's, I mean, yeah. the mechanics of that building, it's so tight. It's, you know, kind of enclosed. There's a lot of competition. I'll throw this out there to you as well, TC. You have a billion-dollar paddock, you know, um, building being built for F1. Mm. Those guys are on record saying that they do plan to have events there. They're going to be having high-end, um, f- like, food and catering events, you know, big uh, conventions and what have you. There's, it's, it's very, and we're, we're in a renaissance of sports in this, in this market, but at, at, but keep in mind, it, the competition is fierce. Mm -hmm. I think it's just going to get more fierce. 
Alan Snell joins us, LV Sports Biz. Go on his website. Uh, you can see um, his articles regarding this and other things uh, in Vegas from the business side of things. Um, back to the tax. So, Alan, where you say an entertainment tax. I mean, again, who's who would be paying for so this? I think that's you- what people in Las Vegas want to know. Who are they anticipating paying for this ballpark? So this is... This is very common in a lot of markets. What will happen is that a, a, a pro team will propose a tax district to include the facility and all the businesses within that tax district will charge a fee, you know, kind of, you know, the parallel for the Raider Stadium would be the hotel room tax. This is right. everything on that's purchased inside this, this obviously 49 acre area and that that's part that's some of the negotiations how big is this tax district going to be i've already talked with economists who question whether there will be enough revenue generated from the purchases of items to come up with the cash to pay pay back 500 million dollars in bonds that you know they that clark county is being asked to float clark county is the fiscal agent for raider stadium so you do have this raiders you have this Las Vegas Stadium Authority Board, but they're not floating the bonds. They, the authorized official f- fiscal agent, if you will, for the for the Raiders Stadium is Clark County. Clark County again is is going to come up. They have the apparatus. They have the government infrastructure in place to sell the bonds and to collect the money and what have you. And you know, I will tell you that. You know, just based on my initial interviews, the <laughs> the Clark County commissioners are not on board with this. I yeah. mean, you know, the, Mark Michael Naft has already been quoted as saying that you know they can ask for whatever they want; it doesn't mean they'll get it. It's a lot of vibrators, I think, that you have to sell. You know, a lot of sex toys in that area. You know? Yeah, that was kind of an interesting, like, little take. You probably saw the the TV news about how the. You know, a lot of the – that's kind of a tough little part of the, uh, the area, neighborhood, yeah, right. and you have a lot of streetwalkers there. And, you know, one of the initial TV stories had to do with the fact that, you know, the prostitutes, you know, walking the streets there are going to be, like, pushed out and what's going to yeah. happen to the sex workers and hmm. – but, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we'll probably I see. I need you to go undercover for that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're LV Sports Biz. That is biz, right? <laughs> we'll probably see more like you Buffalo. You know, Nunchucks filling an application <laughs> for you right now. We'll <laughs> probably see more, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings restaurants than like, you yeah. know, uh, than, than, uh, than sex toy uh, businesses in there. You mentioned Mark Davis not being happy ab- about, this news. Yeah, I, got, I mean, you know the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy must be absolutely haunted. And he, by the and he has he, been on record of saying that he's not happy about this. Not this at deal. all. I mean, no. uh, on both sides. I mean, mm-hmm. the Oakland Athletics didn't like the, uh, I guess they called it the Mount Davis, uh, you know, um, the uh, bleachers and, and all the seating section. Mm-hmm. And Mark Davis didn't like the whole um, uh, the lease agreement there and, and fighting with the A's about that. So, you know, again, that was uh, that's part of the kind of a subplot right. to the whole soap opera of this. I mean, uh, you know, Mark Davis, it, Mark Davis must be thinking, "What the hell do I have to do to get rid of the Oakland Athletics?" <laughs> <laughs> the speaking of the Raiders, um, Raiders value. Uh, I know Forbes, uh, you know, released this a, a while back, uh, 2019, the last year they were in Oakland, they were valued at 1.2 billion dollars, which was 29th in the National Football League. Last year, 
3.1 billion is what the Raiders are worth now, the, which is 17th. Well, the, I think maybe they, even I more thought, now, I, right? I thought they went up to five point. I thought they okay. went up to 5.1 so billion dollars. I, I, was, I was going back, yeah, just to last year. I remember that. I mean, I'm sure, like I right, said, right, and it, that is because more, the but, obviously the opening of the stadium, exactly, but also yeah. the opening of the stadium meant that they zoomed from literally last in corporate partnership revenues. To yeah. the top, like literally the top, uh, definitely the top eight, if yeah. not the top five, uh, because they had all the, um, they had all their partnerships that were part of the uh, founding mm. deals to the stadium. Everyone's talking about F1. What are your thoughts uh, uh, about this? And I know that, you know, we got construction going on around the city is driving everybody nuts. Uh, That's the ha- funny thing, TC, is that all this Oakland Athletics ballpark yeah. stuff has actually like given a break to the F1 people yeah. who are like, like you mentioned, um, F1's contractor, Las Vegas Paving, which apparently paves every road in this market. You see Las Vegas paving trucks everywhere. Yeah. They are, you know, as we talk, they're working on Las Vegas Boulevard and the Strip and, um, have you invi- have you seen the renditions of what this is going to look like for race day or race days? No, it's I mean it's going to be it's going to be pretty dazzling. In fact, yeah. I think we're going through this with with Miami. It's right? hard to it's hard for me to envision driving around the area right now just to see. Okay, how is this going to be? You know, in five months, it's. Um it's going to be a mess. I mean, I, 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 I mean, and, and what happens afterwards? Well, we we got a little piece of this just last week. Remember for the um, first for the playoff game for the um, Vegas Golden Knights. Yes, they that was the day they decide to close two lanes behind the arena. Um, what is uh, that? D Martin Road or yes. whatever. That, yes. I mean, yeah. um, they, they just, you have yeah. you have single lane traffic going in both directions yeah. with with construction going on the strip and. You know that everyone's going to have to figure out like their own transportation hacks in terms of getting around. As you know, TC, it's it's a non-issue for me because I just can bike somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of yeah. pull up. Love the bike racks at uh, T-Mobile yeah. Arena, and I I interviewed Dave Cavill on the day that he uh, had the big announcement. Mm-hmm. We bought forty nine acres. We're coming to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. That happened to be the same day that Allegiant Stadium's unveiling these beautiful new bike racks. Yes, <laughs> and I told Dave. Dave, how can you kill me, man? I finally get one day in the in the sun here, and and you come up with this uh, Oakland A's to Las Vegas stuff. <laughs> oh, that's great. Alan Snell, go read his stuff. He's everywhere here in Las Vegas, covering all the teams and giving us the the behind the scenes uh, business stuff as well too. LVSportsBiz.com. Go read his stuff regarding the uh, proposed A Stadium. It is fantastic, my friend. Appreciate you. We'll let you get back on that bike and uh, <laughs> probably see you tomorrow night, right? Wednesday night, yeah. game one. As I, you know, I, I am guessing TV pulled a fast one and moved the uh, Friday night game to Saturday. I see that. So that's, that's good. That's a four o'clock Saturday afternoon start. Right, here. right. I like that. I like that. And it gives me a chance to go see Cool and the Gang Friday night at the Westgate. <laughs> now there you go. And uh, six thirty tomorrow night, which you know, uh, hey, earlier start the better. I, I like I that. Think, you know, that saves a half hour or an hour on the other end. It does. Think, it gives so. me a chance to you know 
get in one of my uh, quality uh, restaurants, uh, you know, maybe after the game before Listen, they close. I mean, that's um, there's two things I look forward to. Mm-hmm. I um, this guy who like carves up the uh, the uh, the draft players yeah. and, and your food reviews. There you go, <laughs> my man, Alan Snell. We appreciate you being here, my friend. It's always great to be here, and also I look forward to hearing you uh, Aces basketball around the corner. Around Come the on. corner, training camp right now, baby. There Can you hardly go. wait. Want to thank Alan for being here, Trevor Maddich as well. And Chuck Esposito. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. The website is tcmartinshow.com. Our interview with Asia Wilson's up there from Friday. Go check that out. Hear from Jim Barnett. Hear from everybody else. And uh, don't forget, tonight, Warriors and Lakers, Game 1. And Golden Knights, we'll talk more about that. Game 1 against Edmonton tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. Have yourself a good one. Enjoy. We're back at it tomorrow at 2.